Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look ahead to the new year in African football, with lots to look forward to on the calendar. Also, we hear from Zambian referee Jani Sikazwe, one of Africa's most experienced referees, who's announced his retirement after a very difficult 2022. People can talk whatever they, they want to talk. But let me tell you, I decided to do that even before the World Cup. That's coming later. Also, Stuart has a tribute to Pele, and we assess Cristiano Ronaldo's move to Saudi Arabia. But first, a few stories in brief. A Cameroon's under-17 national team's been hit by failed age tests ahead of regional Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers starting next week. Samuel Eto, the president of the Cameroon FA, ordered the age test, and of the initial 30 players, 21 failed the test, and then 11 new players also failed tests on Tuesday, with the coach now struggling to find replacements. And Ryan Eit Norrie, who plays as a defender for Wolves in the English Premier League, has committed to play for Algeria. Eit Norrie was born in France. He played for France at under-18 and under-21 level, but has now committed to play for the Desert Foxes at senior national team level. And a Cape Verde's national stadium is to be renamed after Pele. At Pele's funeral, FIFA president Gianni Infantino asked every country in the world to name a stadium after the late Brazil legend. Much more on Pele later. So it's our first show of 2023 and it's another busy year in African football. In the coming months we have the Chan Finals, the African Nations Championship, delayed from 2022, kicking off in Algeria next week. Also we have the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations Finals in Egypt starting next month. We have the group stage of the CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup starting next month too. Also coming up qualifiers for the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations with a final Finals on next year in Ivory Coast. Also, we have the launch of the Africa Super League. Uh, lots to look forward to, Ida. Lots, 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 Steve. <laughs> Very exciting. And uh, especially with the Chan coming up, followed by the under-20 Afghan. Always a good opportunity for local stars and young players to break out to a bigger audience. And I want to focus on the African Super League because that's the newbie of the year. And it's certainly something that's brought about so much division in opinion. And frankly, even till now, with just about seven or eight months to kick off, you know, something that's definitely asking more questions than it's been answering. We've previously talked at length about the doubts the competition has raised, you know, mainly because the details still haven't been too forthcoming, you know, which teams will be selected. Where's the financial backing coming from? Its equivalent failed terribly in Europe. It didn't have the backing of UEFA and the stakeholders. So why try it in Africa? What happens with the CAF Champions League and the Confederation Cup, Steve? I mean, the winner of the CAF Champions League, for example, has always gone on to represent the continent at the Club World Cup. So will that still be the case? You know, 197 games in total 
also sounds incredibly taxing on the players. It's, it's a lot of questions, Steve. So will it be all that or will this be a situation like the World Cup, you know, where what majority did before was raise concern, but the tournament actually turned out to be one of the most successful ever. I mean, who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. Yes, there's still so many questions about this African Super League. Now, in other news, the Zambian referee Jani Sikazwe has announced his retirement after a very difficult 2022. Sikazwe twice blew early to end a match at the Africa Cup of Nations finals last year. And at the World Cup in Qatar, he was criticised for denying Canada a penalty in a game against Belgium. Well, speaking at a news conference, Sikazwe said he had already decided to retire before he went to the World Cup. A lot of people have been, like, uh, talking on social media and uh, they have been, uh, like, giving reasons why Johnny has decided to, to retire. Well, um, I didn't just decide to retire some two days ago. It was even before I went for the World Cup. But you people, you didn't know about that. Uh, I wrote a letter. That was before the World Cup. So people have been like, after our World Cup, this is what I'm thinking about. I think uh, I'll hang up my boots and see what I can do with other things. That was before the World Cup. The reason is uh, very simple. So why can't I give a chance to the young ones? Why should I go on when I have the young ones who should come? So that Zambian referee Jani Sikazwe speaking at a news conference and a tough ending for the career of one of the continent's best referees, Ida. Well, Steve, I'd say that Sikazwe's career ended in pretty much the same way a big part of it was also experienced controversially. (laughs) And uh, I remember after his last World Cup match, some Canadians were so incensed that they wanted to sue him. I mean, (laughs) he's certainly been a really polarizing figure, and I don't think forgettable in the least bit. On top of the AFCON controversy in 2022, well, he was suspended by CAF back in 2018 for alleged involvement in match-fixing. And even after the AFCON mess, he was still selected for the 2022 CAF Confederation Cup. That was the final before getting his last career game in Qatar at a World Cup. It's undeniable, Steve, the top tournaments in his resume. Qatar wasn't his first World Cup. He officiated in Russia as well in 2018. He was at the 2017 Nations Cup final and the 2016 FIFA Club World Cup final. He retires at an arguably young age for a referee, 43. I mean, there's still people playing at that age, (laughs) but everyone's journey is different. Some saying, though, that it could be the accumulation of controversies, Qatar included, that led to the decision. You know, despite the former ref saying that he had decided on it well before. And the list of referees to officiate at the Chan in Algeria this January was published and not a single Zambian on it. Something I'm sure that they were quite used to. And it does go to show, Steve, that whatever one might think of Sikazwe, that he really flew the flag of his country quite high. Steve Sikazwe retired alongside another African refereeing great, uh, South Africa's Victor Gomez. 
And a question raised by South Africa's head of referees, Abdul Ibrahim, was certainly food for thought. You know, that despite the gains made by African referees, that no African ref was selected for the World Cup semifinals onwards. As I've said, food for thought, maybe for another day and not necessarily this, but nonetheless, all the best to Gomez and Sikazwe in retirement. Yes, those two will certainly leave uh, quite a legacy. And uh, Kenya will be back to international football this year after their FIFA suspension was lifted. Uh, Take us through what happened and how the feeling is among fans there, Ida. Yes, Steve, the ban was lifted late last year after nine months. Now, this was after Kenya met FIFA's criteria of reinstating the National Football Association into office. In this case, the Football Kenya Federation, or the FKF, as it's otherwise known. The world governing body had accused Kenya's government of running interference with uh, the running of the country's football through the sports ministry, which took quite a hard stance against the Federation President Nick Mwendwa. Steve, it disbanded the FA over alleged misappropriation of funds and appointed a caretaker committee. Plus, it took the FA president to court, pressed charges, and this is a case that's still ongoing. The ban meant that Kenya was barred from taking part in the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers, while the women's team, the Harambe Starlets, failed to play the World Cup qualifiers. Now, a lot of this changed when national elections brought a change of government that reinstated the old football regime back. About the feeling from the fans, well, it depends on who you ask. I mean, there are those who say that Kenya should just focus on what it's good at, which is athletics. But the the country's failure to qualify for the last Afghan definitely dented a lot of hopes that had been created, you know, from getting to the 2019 edition. But look, there are those who welcomed the lifting by FIFA. Because let's not forget, Steve, that an international ban... Well, it's not just something that affects a national team not playing international matches, for example. It affects so many other layers. The country's clubs were omitted from the CAF Confederation and Champions League games. A country's referees, Steve, aren't even able to get jobs. So it's always a good thing for a ban to be lifted. Kenya now waits on a FIFA CAF team that's set to visit Nairobi soon for next steps that will also include a meeting with the Kenyan sports minister. Well, hope all goes well there. Uh, Thanks a lot, Aida. Uh, Meanwhile, here in Zimbabwe, the country is still under a FIFA suspension. Uh, Kenya and Zimbabwe got suspensions at the same time uh, last year. Uh, For Zimbabwe, it was after the uh, government-run Sports Commission suspended the board of the Zimbabwe Football Association. And uh, this means Zimbabwe is still missing out on FIFA funding from uh, taking part in qualifiers and indeed in all international football right now, with no sign of the suspension being lifted any time soon. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on Pele. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. 
And our website is planetsport.tv, and there you can read Russ Bravo's blogs on the World Cup, including why we need to expect the unexpected and penalties and the route to glory. That's on our website, planetsport.tv, and you'll find it in the blog section. Let's go to social media now. And last week we asked, are you in favour of a 48-team World Cup? So after the excitement of Qatar 2022, the next World Cup in 2026 will be expanded from 32 teams to 48 teams. Uh, So Africa will have nine slots up from five. Uh, The tournament format is still being considered. But as Stuart explained last week, that it could have as many as 104 games and could last more than five weeks with a knockout phase from a round of 32. So we asked, are you in favour of a 48-team World Cup, or are you happy as it is? We had a big response on this one. Most people are in favour, and the main reason being that Africa will have nine teams at the tournament, uh, up from five. Ibrahim Sidi Johnny in Sierra Leone says we have a lot of countries in the world, so expanding to 48 will be welcome news to other continents, given how Europe is dominating the slots now. Uh, Godfrey Amagule in France says this consideration is fair not only for Africa, but for non-European continents that for long have been limited to just a few slots at the World Cup. Uh, Mamadou Jallo in the Gambia says, I'm in for it. It's an improvement, and every nation can now try their chance. And uh, Bakari Tamba, also in the Gambia, says 48 teams makes it more competitive. And Belong Badji is in the Gambia too. Belong says for Africa to be represented by nine teams has been long overdue. Uh, the idea of 48 teams at the World Cup is better. It'll make the tournament more competitive and give more players an opportunity to showcase their talents. Uh, Mr. Saura in Botswana says FIFA's not been fair at all. Uh, the number of slots has been heavily skewed towards Europe. They shouldn't call it a World Cup. It's been a European Cup with invites from other continents, says Mr. Saura. Uh, Buoni Geek Guy in South Sudan says, I can't wait to see the mighty South Sudan's bright stars at the 2026 World Cup. And a Kevo Ute Jr. in Kenya says this will be a golden chance for Senegal's Lions of Taranga to win it for Africa. And Adon Bilevit is also in Kenya. Adon says finally it will be coming to Nairobi. Yes, we'll pick up from where Morocco left off. Uh, Nua Manya Emmanuel is in Uganda saying even the Uganda Cranes can qualify and win it. Uh, But on the other hand, Yosaya in Ghana says 32 teams is good as it is, but it would be better if Africa could be given more slots. And Glenn Nagbe also in Ghana says the 32-team format is okay. And Mab Mam Ayati says leave it as it is with 32 teams, but let's lift the quota from five to nine African representatives. Isaiah Doebi Kentebe says 104 games is too much. The World Cup will become long and boring as well as tiring for the players. Let's leave it at 32, says Isaiah. And Goodson Lipper says a 48-team World Cup will just compromise the quality of the game and standards will fall. In Cameroon, and Dakwe Julier says, this aspect will really change the dynamic of the World Cup. It will devalue the tournament as countries that are not that good at football will just be making fools of themselves at the final. It should remain at 32 that we've known because each team that qualifies is probably a solid team like this. 
And to Nicholas Chira says 48 teams is too much. Better to have 40 or to stick at 32. But to have Europe trimmed from 13 to 11 slots so that Africa could get seven, says Nicholas. And finally, on a slightly different note, Luanda El Gagu in South Africa says the World Cup should be played every two years and should only be contested by the top three countries from each of the six playing continents. That's the only way it can ever come close to being fair for Africa. Otherwise, you should have had nine teams some 15 years ago, says Luanda. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. It's always great to hear from you. We also had uh, some comments、uh, on the death of the Brazilian football legend Pele, who was、uh, laid to rest, of course,、uh, this week、uh, with incredible scenes、uh, in Santos in Brazil. Ubachi in the Gambia says the loss of the greatest king of football is a loss of the entire beauty of the universe. He's truly a legend. We loved him, but his maker loves him most, says Ubachi. And Alassane Trame in the Gambia says a legend is gone. Rest in peace, King of the Game Pele. Let's hear、uh, briefly from another Brazil legend.、Uh, that is、uh, Kaká, 2007 World Footballer of the Year,、uh, with、uh, his thoughts、uh, on Pele. Pele is special because he won three World Cups. Of course, he's also special for his other achievements, like scoring more than 1,000 goals in his career. All of this is important. But what makes him a unique player is that he played in three World Cups, which Brazil won. Since he was the star of those victories, he was considered a player who was out of this world, beyond the norm, and someone whom every Brazilian admires. And as a result, the world has a special place in their heart for Pele. So that's from our archives.、Uh, Kaká speaking about、uh, Pele. Let's go to our European football expert,、uh, Stuart Weir in the UK.、Um, Stuart,、um, how special was Pele? Well, first of all, Steve, a sad week、uh, with the funeral of Pele. Generally regarded as the greatest footballer the world has ever seen, he scored spectacular goals, displayed outrageous skills. He was part of the Brazil team that won the World Cup 58, 62, and 70. Although he was injured and missed the final and all the knockout stages in 62, it's really hard to assess him on the world stage. I think he played his entire career in Brazil for Santos. Playing 636 league games, scoring an incredible 618 goals—that's virtually a goal every game. Played 92 times for Brazil, 72 goals. At the end of his career, he played for two years in New York for the Cosmos,、uh, as Major League Soccer was being launched in America. But football was so different 50 to 60 years ago that it's really hard to compare his achievements、uh, with, say, Messi or Ronaldo. He played his club football only in Brazil. In those days, it was rare for players to come to Europe,、uh, and footballers earned nothing like the sums that they do today. You know, there was no Premier League billionaires. According to some statistics books, Pele scored 1,363 goals, but over 500 of those were in friendly or exhibition games, which would not be included in statistics these days. But in the days before lucrative TV contracts, when Pele was playing, that was how clubs earned money by playing these exhibition matches. 
Pele was certainly the greatest player of his generation, perhaps the greatest of all. But it's hard to make comparisons given that he never played in La Liga, the Premier League, the Champions League, uh, probably played less competitive games, say, than a Messi did. So I think for me the jury is just still out on that one. Yeah, sure. We'll continue to uh, debate that one uh, on and on. And uh, it's been amazing to see the coverage uh, of Pele, the funeral, and and to look back on uh, the limited footage uh, of his uh, playing days and uh, just to remember what a a legend he was. Um, Stuart, to uh, another legend, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has decided to move to Saudi Arabia uh, to join Al Nasser on an absolutely huge deal. Uh, what do you make of this? Well, to sum Ronaldo up in one sentence, he was one of the greatest footballers who ever lived, but what a sad way to end his career. He played one season for Sporting Lisbon, six for Manchester United, nine for Real Madrid, four for Juventus, and then on his second coming to Manchester United, two more years. He won the Premier League three times, La Liga twice with Real Madrid, Serie A twice with Juventus. He won the Champions League five times with Manchester United and four times with Real Madrid. He scored 103 goals in the Premier League, an incredible 311 goals for Real Madrid in nine seasons, um, including all games, not just league games, over 700 goals in league football. As an international player, 196 appearances for Portugal, including, and we just commented on this recently, playing and scoring in five World Cup finals. In total, he scored 118 goals for Portugal. The greatest success was 2016 when he helped Portugal to be European champions. But, as you say, one month short of his 38th birthday, he is signed for Al Nasser in Saudi Arabia. It's been a frustrating season for him. He's only started four league games from Manchester United. And sadly, in many people's opinion, the team was simply better without him. He got into conflict with the United manager Eric Ten Hag when, first of all, he refused to go on as a substitute in stoppage time, telling the manager that stars don't come on as a substitute for two minutes. And then, in an interview, he criticised Manchester United and Ten Hag. It seemed as if he was deliberately doing it to get a release from Manchester United so that he could sign on a free transfer from another club. The problem has been, Steve, that no big club has wanted him. His behaviour has made him toxic and his age has made clubs question whether he's worth the half million dollar a week salary he was demanding. Then he went to the World Cup, but by the time Portugal had reached the knockout stage, he was no longer in the starting lineup. He found himself without a club and without any offers at the level where he wants to be. So he's going to Saudi Arabia for a reported $4 million a week. His comment, I am fortunate to have won everything I set out to win in European football and feel now is the right time to share my experience in Asia. Well, it simply doesn't ring true, does it? Ronaldo is receiving an obscene amount of money from a country with a pretty low standard of football and an atrocious human rights record. 
But make no mistake about it, he's going to Saudi Arabia because no top European club wants him. Ronaldo was an unbelievable player, perhaps the best free kick taker in the modern era. He scored goals from long distance, from close in, right foot, left foot. He was probably the best header of a ball in the world. But sadly, he will be remembered by many for his appalling behaviour at Manchester United lately when he said in a TV interview that he had been betrayed by Manchester United. But frankly, I think most people will feel it was entirely the other way round. It's nearly 20 years since I first saw Ronaldo play as a teenager at Manchester United. I've marvelled at his ability over the years. It's just such a shame it ended the way it did. Well, asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week, uh, Stuart, uh, they're very much uh, against the move. Uh, what do you think of Ronaldo's move to Saudi Arabia? Uh, is indeed the standard too low for him? Should he have gone elsewhere? Or indeed, as Stuart says, could he have gone uh, somewhere else? Would another club have been able to pay him? Or does he maybe deserve this huge deal as uh, an all-time footballing legend? You can uh, send us a message on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or uh, send us a WhatsApp comment to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. What do you think of Ronaldo's move to Saudi Arabia? We love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, so, Stuart, uh, action uh, in England right now. Premier League has been non-stop. An FA Cup coming up this weekend. One consequence of the mid-season World Cup break, Steve, is certainly there's an awful lot of games to fit in. Take Manchester United as an example. From the 21st of December to the 14th of January, 24 days. And in that time, Manchester United will have played seven games. That's one every three days. Four in the Premier League, two in the League Cup and one in the FA Cup. The games are coming thick and fast, with a game virtually every day of the week. But the thing is, Steve, I cannot remember a season in which everything looks so wide open. Arsenal have surprised a lot of people still being top of the league, with 14 wins in 17 games. The league title is definitely theirs to lose. Manchester City looks certain to be in the top four, but who else? Below that, Newcastle have not scored in their last two games. Liverpool and Tottenham are struggling a bit. Well, Tottenham scored four in the second half but uh, against Crystal Palace, but lost the previous game. Liverpool lost at Brentford and only beat Leicester City with two own goals. And Liverpool's Virgil van Dijk is now out for a month and the Reds are already without Luis Diaz and Diogo Jota to long-term injuries. Now, Newcastle are doing well in the top four, and they drew at Arsenal this week, but were heavily criticised for time-wasting, for deliberately committing fouls to break up the play, and to have players feigning injury. And in fact, the ball was only in play for 51 of the game's 98 minutes, which is four minutes less than average. Now, at the bottom of the table, I think there are eight teams who look to be in trouble. Southampton are bottom, with new manager Nathan Jones yet to see his 
team avoid losing a game. Wolves are just above them, and just above Wolves are Everton and West Ham, each with just one point from their last five games. Real pressure on Frank Lampard and David Moyes. The only good news at the bottom really is Nottingham Forest have moved out of the bottom three with two wins and two draws in their last five. And this week it was Awani scoring the only goal as they beat Southampton 1-0. It's very tight at the bottom and, as you say, it's FA Cup ties this weekend. Steve, I want to tell you about two players who've had quite a strange week. When Leicester City lost to Liverpool... Their Belgian defender, Wout Weiss, had the misfortune of scoring two own goals. And apparently, Steve, it's the 43rd time a player has conceded two own goals going back to 1893. Steve, you may know that the new Wolves manager, Hulan Loptegui, used to be a goalkeeper, as did Nuno, and before him, Walter Zenga. That's three of the last Wolves managers who were goalkeepers. But if you were to look at the last five managers of each of the 19 other Premier League clubs, that's 85 in total, only one of them was a goalkeeper. So why do Wolves like goalkeepers so much as managers? <laughs> well, that's amazing. Thanks so much, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.